0: Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today I'm excited about a very important conversation we're building around health and wellness awareness, and that's what we want to talk about today.
1: Well, anybody that's in front of students knows that mental health is a big issue. Absolutely. Um, And uh, I remember... Andrew, when this registered with me, it was many years ago, we started uncovering research that said Gen Z is really wrestling with this even more than the millennials were, and it started with millennials. Absolutely. the
0: Millennials were dealing with it a lot, but I think Generation
1: Z has set records that we've never seen before. It's normalized now, yeah. So I remember several years ago hearing the story of Madison Holleran. In fact, I heard about her in 2015. It was a year after this— Tragic event happened. She got famous for all the wrong reasons. In 2014, she was a two sport athlete at the University of Pennsylvania, so this elite institution. Uh, she came from a good family who attended games and matches. Uh, she's got pictures of her dad standing with her in uniform. It was just the all American family. Everything yep. was going well, at least it uh, appeared. So um, it appeared to be perfect, but she suffered anonymously with anxiety even mm. as an athlete yeah. where she, the endorphins are going because she's working out all the time her world was split in two the public one on social media yes and then the private one which was everything else so it was the social media was filled with photos of smiling friends at parties while the other one was a private desperate and even hopeless world mm. that nobody even her mom and dad knew was going on and so one evening Again, this is tragic, but Madison jumped from the ninth floor of a parking garage on campus, and her body was discovered. And I am emotional even thinking about it, but I guess I'm feeling this way. Anybody that ends their life, I'm thinking, what didn't we know that we could have helped you with? But I'm thinking, this would have been the least seen or predicted uh, death.
0: And, and in, in a lot of ways, it might be the very fact that people believed that oh, I'm sure somebody like her would never deal with this that yeah. actually made it impossible for yeah. her to feel like she could share it. That's right. And, and this is why it's so important in a month like this to bring awareness because what we have to acknowledge is that this is far more common with people who we maybe would assume would never deal with this. It's
1: far more common than we even think it is. You're right. And, uh, yeah, her 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 situation is actually becoming normalized. So let me, let me uh, quote Kathy Remy. Um, Honestly, Kathy says, I've had more students this year hospitalized hospitalized for anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues than ever before. Now, Kathy is a school counselor at La Plata High School in uh, Southern Maryland. She says there's just so much going on in this day and age, the pressures to fit in, the pressures to achieve, the pressure of social media. And then you couple that with the fact that kids can't even feel safe in their schools. They worry genuinely about getting shot. Um, yeah. I, I've said before on this podcast, when I interviewed some high school students here in Atlanta, the Atlanta area, they said whenever we hear a pop, a loud pop Even in if school, it's just a balloon or yeah, whatever. We're yeah, we're sure that a gun's going off and we all begin to duck. And I'm thinking, this is not supposed to be the school experience in twenty twenty. Absolutely 2021. not. So, Yeah.
0: Well, obviously, you know, we could spend a lot longer making a case for why this is so important, but the reality is we don't have to explain to listeners yeah. that this is an issue. Uh, it's aware everybody who uh, who deals with or engages with Generation Z is well aware of this issue. So we actually want to talk about four practices that, you know, if, if not starting this in June, mm-hmm. then when is kind of yeah. the question I'm asking. Four very healthy practices that we can work on alongside Generation Z. So we want them to to practice it, but maybe we need to practice it ourselves. And I really, I think it'd be great for us to get into it, spend a little bit of time on yeah. each one of these and talk about how we might make these a normal part of yeah. our everyday life.
1: And then watch the outcomes. Would that be great if It we would saw, be awesome. Yeah. Okay, good. So number one of four. Let's talk about it. The first one is simply the word margin. Not a foreign word, but But a foreign concept in our practice sometimes. So I mentioned this element first because it represents the quickest step that um, that kids can take. Uh, The people who maintain a happy posture or disposition, those who are emotionally healthy, are those who create margin in their calendar. Uh, They schedule portions of their day to create space. Um, I remember, Andrew, when I first started doing this in my calendar, I put, and I called it interruption time because I knew I'm going to be interrupted today. I don't yeah. know when, but I'm going to have enough margin yeah. that when it does happen, I'm not going to be going, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. You know, I'm, And I always yell like that. So. Yeah, I've heard yeah, you several yes, times. Yes, that's yeah. right. Your office is right across from mine. <laughs> so they remove noise. I'm going back to these kids that do this. They remove noise and clutter during those portions of time, and they experience solitude quietness and simplicity. This is rare, but boy, the kids that do it, it's brilliant.
0: Yeah. This is something that you will realize, I think, if you think about your own personal day, is this takes discipline. And it's always taken discipline for the adult in the high-pressure job. You know, that's been going on Mm -hmm. for decades and decades. The difference is that it takes discipline to add this into your calendar as a teenager now, because kids today's lives are so scheduled, even in the midst of virtual classrooms during a pandemic, their lives are so scheduled that they just don't feel like they have this, yeah. And this is why this is so important.
1: Yeah, and it's so. So I'm hearing you say it's a little bit our fault. Yeah, we a need little to make bit. Sure it's yeah. not so crammed, full. So one educator that we have appreciated for years, um, she's taking time off right now, but she's in Orange, California, Orange County, California. Uh, she actually was head of school before she um, before she took some time off, Orange Lutheran High School. So it's a private school, very elite school. But because it's elite, you can imagine the pressure that these students come with. They are on a fast track to USC, UCLA, Stanford, and yeah. other schools, and you can, you can just imagine the pressure they impose on themselves, much less get from mom and dad because they're paying for an expensive education. Absolutely. So Leslie introduced something that's being carried on by the, by the head of school and principals there. It's called Rome R-O-A-M, and Rome stands for Revitalize. On a Monday. <laughs> so they have a chunk of time on Mondays that's so the first of the week when the students start building up their steam for the heavy week ahead. This is a block of time where they can do anything but social media, mm. which gives us anxiety. Yep. So you can you can talk with a faculty member about anything, pets, you know, cereal, whatever you want to you can play ping pong you play games they have some or they did have some dogs on campus just to pet pets you know that sort of thing but the point was to make sure there was margin and to do it at the beginning of the week so you have your week to say that was a good day i need to do that again on yeah. tuesday maybe wednesday yeah. so i love the fact that this educator imposed this margin time in the day in a gen z day's life generation z students life which is full of noise and clutter, to remove the noise and the clutter is one of the best gifts we can give them. Mm.
0: In some ways, it's helping them learn to make space to be intentionally unintentional. You yeah, know, that's right. Uh, to have some space where I haven't planned anything, there's not expectations on me. And it might seem so simple, but I think the reason it seems so simple is because there was automatically space for it. Yeah. It's really only in the last... 20, 30 years that we started cramming things up so so much that this seems abnormal. And so what we need to do is
1: start being intentional about making space You're for right. unplanned time. It's, uh, we realize this sounds weird. Maybe some of you are nodding yes, some of you are shaking your head. No way. Uh, author Richard Foster said uh, he now plans time to waste time Yeah. because he's so... Inten- I'm, I'm the same way. I'm so intentional, result-oriented, yep. onto the goal that if you just say waste time. I have an appointment with wasting time right here. Yeah. But boy, I my brain loves it when I eventually just get with my dog Sadie and we romp around in the family room and you know we're just goofing off. And my wife loves to see it because she goes, I just, I don't see you doing that very much. So yeah. it's just stuff we need and our kids desperately need it.
0: Absolutely. So there is a direct connection between margin in your schedule and health and wellness in your yes. life. And I think we need to start
1: seeing it that yep. way. Absolutely. All right. Number two. Number two is the word mindfulness. Yeah. Mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is a buzzword today. Yep. Some of you might even listening, you might even have an app for helping you become mindful. Uh, some folks are wary of it as it feels like some sort of ancient Eastern ritual or medit- for meditation or some weird religion or whatever. Others swear by it. Still, others simply do it because it's fashionable. But I believe when we do it right in the way that we're comfortable doing it, it becomes a great gift to help us with our mental health. So regardless of what you feel about the term, mindfulness is the practice of being mindful, which is an absolute assault on poor mental health. Yeah. It's, you're attacking confusion, chaos, um, cluttered thinking yep. where you can't really even concentrate on something. It almost works like medication. I know that's a seems like hyperbole, but it's almost like ta- when you become mindful and you breathe and you're quiet, it's like taking a wonderful drug, but I yeah. mean, it's a healthy drug because yeah. you're actually doing what your brain was meant to do. Um, Andrew, I don't, this is spontaneous here, but you and I were talking, oh gosh, a long time ago about how a person living today, if they read the New York Times on yep. the weekend, consumes the same amount of information as somebody who was living in the 19th century, would have consumed in an entire year. Mm -hmm. But it's the weekend edition. So that's just—think about that. And that's the newspaper. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. forget billboards, email, everything else. So um, it's enough to make you say, I probably ought to be mindful. So what I do—this is just me. I'm not the most brilliant person in the world. That probably doesn't shock anybody (laughs) listening. But um, I will stop for a few minutes, no more than a few, but it's a few times a day. And I will breathe, mm-hmm. and I'll listen to myself breathe, and I'll focus on one thing. And it's usually not the next project, because that doesn't help me ease up. Yep. It just gets me going again. Yep. So uh, maybe I'll focus on my breathing. Maybe I'll focus on on my wife, Pam, which is a lovely thought for me. Yeah. Um, so, so those kinds of things, whatever works for you. But I'm telling you, that kind of focus is so, so helpful. Let's face it. Haven't we all had moments where we have to admit, I'm here, but I'm really not here? Yeah. I'm just, my mind's in a thousand other my places. My laptop is yeah, open, yeah. all of those things. It exactly. might, in
0: some ways, if you think about the relationship between mindfulness and margin, which we just talked yeah. about, margin is where I intentionally plan time where I don't have a yeah. plan, right? This would be where I intentionally plan time where I'm focused on yes. one single thing, right? Yeah. Whether it's breathing for a moment or it's a project I need to work on and I don't want to uh, put my phone on airplane mode and shut down my email and just go yeah. uh, deep into that project. Those, uh, It's interesting that these are really two different versions of a very similar thing, which is one, is one is I plan no
1: time, and one is I plan very focused time, but both can be enemies of poor yeah, mental health. No doubt. I remember distinctly watching my high school daughter, Bethany, back in 2005, but I was watching her do her homework, but she was doing so much more than her homework. <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah. You know Bethany. And this is 2005. That's right, yeah. exactly. Before the iPhone came out. Yeah. But she had her phone. She had TV going. She had, I, I think there was a laptop at the time, which which we'd gotten her, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. But there were a number of devices, and all of this while she's trying to do her homework. So there's a textbook out as well. And I'm thinking, there's no way you could, do it. oh yeah, I can do this, Dad. You can't, but I can. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So it was just fun to go, oh my gosh, we're we're in a new world. And sure enough, as the years have gone by, the last 15 years or so, she's had to be much more intentional about not letting herself yep. just try to do too much at once. And there's no mindfulness going on at all.
0: That's happened to a lot of us millennials, right? We grew up multitasking and we realized it wasn't actually the healthiest practice. And I'm hoping Generation Z learns that lesson a little bit earlier than we did. Most of us waited until we got to our careers and went, you know, it might be good not to just say yes to everything. you know. Um, But that's really ultimately what we're talking about. Uh, You and I have talked several times over the few years about Uh, Gary Davidson in Lambert High School. He created a way for lots of mindfulness to happen uh, in his uh, school campus. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? So
1: this is a public high school, a large high school, and a very much high academically achieving school. Good at sports, good at athletic. There's athletes and mathletes, both at this school. Yeah. So Gary was seeing the pressure that his kids were feeling, and then he started noticing in his faculty and staff. Mm -hmm. Everybody was anxious, and he thought, this is not a good thing on campus. So what he did with the school schedule, since he's the principal, was he found a way to uh, break up the day into smaller increments. So the class period went from 55 minutes to maybe 47 minutes or something like that, but he chipped a little bit off of each one, so he created another period. Mm. So now lunch is actually two periods right in the middle of the day, so half the school goes the first lunch period, half goes the second lunch period. So you have half the time in the middle of the day to eat lunch, yep. which is my favorite part of the day. <laughs> but the other half is what he calls lunch and learn. The whole thing's called lunch and learn, but the other is learn part. So the learn part is he was seeing some kids were feeling stressed because they had to make up a test and they didn't know where to do it because they had band or, practice or right when after. to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, when to do it. Right. Uh, or they, it was catch-up or makeup test or study-up or whatever. So in his media center, Gary established a, a safe place where you can go and it's quiet. But there is a specialist in each subject, in each department, math, literature, social studies, history, uh, you name it. And so they take, the teachers take turns, so when they're off, they're off, but when they're on, they're really on. Students can just come in at, at will and say, I need to make up a test. Okay, John, I'll have you go right over here, blah, blah, blah. Or I need to catch up on something, or I need to, oh, I don't, I'm not getting this, I'm, I'm, I'm behind. Then the students that don't need to catch up or make up anything, Gary got a couple of dogs out on the campus that are just, I I saw them. They're beautiful dogs that the kids can just pet. But he tries to discourage social media and encourage everything else organic. So the students can
0: ultimately choose what they need to focus on in order to alleviate some mental stress or whatever that
1: they're feeling. Part of the genius behind this was he said, students have no time at the beginning of the day. They're sleeping to the last minute and then rushing up to school. They have no time at the end of the day, football practice, band practice, rehearsals, you know, the school play. So he thought, I'll get it in the middle of the day. Yeah. If they're going to get
0: it, I'm going to have to make space for it. That's exactly right. What
1: a great leader. Okay, Tim, let's do number three. All right. Number three metacognition. Now, this is a big 50-cent word that probably only educators would know, but let me just explain it real quick. This is a term that swept through the educational world over the last, say, five to seven years. The National Academy of Sciences calls metacognition the key to all effective learning. That's quite that's, quite a saying. Yes, it is. It really is. It's a practice that's been around since the beginning of humankind. In fact, the best teachers have always used it, but the way we typically do classrooms and pedagogy today, we don't. We're downloading information, hoping that they write it down and test well in December. This is just a very, very different way. So at its root, metacognition is simply thinking about our thinking. So it's almost like we step back from our own minds, and we say, how did I learn this? Yep. What am I thinking about this? How do I think about this? So in, in some sense, it's not just what to think, but it's how to think. But when we begin to do this, what, what educators tell you is you begin to own the subject. Ownership happens. Yeah, It's almost like—here's a good example. It's almost like this teacher says to the student, if you had to teach this, what would you do? Yeah. Oh, well, I'd get ready. I'd probably come up with a clever way to do it. And suddenly you're the teacher and you're the student as well. Yep. That's metacognition. So um, this ownership thing is just huge. Andrew, you and I have absolutely, because we're geeky about this, (laughs) have loved looking at research that took place way back in 1954. Dr. Julian Rotter, who was a research professor at Ohio State University, came up with a scale, a questionnaire called the internal-external locus of control. Many people listening would go, I remember that from psych class. Yeah. So um, pairs of, of students, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, pairs of questions were given to students where they, were, they would be measured on whether they were internal or external in their thinking on that subject. And then at the end, Dr. Rotter could say, ah, you tend to be a person whose external locus of control, which by the way meant you're looking externally for your solutions to the problems of life. Mm-hmm. Maybe mom will do this for me. Maybe my teacher will give me the answer. Luck may step Th- in. Yeah. yeah. Luck be a lady tonight. Yes. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but anyway, you know they're looking outside. We've all been guilty of this. Yeah. We all blamed our mama. We all blamed our coach. If only so-and-so would That's just. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But those who are internal locus of control, boy, this is what you want. These are the people that say, you know what? I'm going to look inside. I can't control everything. But what I can't control, I'm going to seize control, yep. my attitudes, my effort and practice or studying for an exam. So Dr. Rotter was tempting to say, in fact, Dr. Rotter proved nine years into his research, those who come up with an internal locus of control, not only do they practice metacognition, they're far more successful in life. Mm-hmm. Their, their nutrition and weight control is yep. better. Yep. Their career and job goes better. Their marriage and family goes better. Their personal life goes better. So um, this all has to do with us getting metacognition inserted into the lifestyles of our students.
0: Absolutely. And you can see how this would make sense. If I was looking out into the outside world, expecting something was going to come in and rescue or make the thing better or save me from some uh, great issue, I, I, I'm I, naturally going to take a little bit more of a passive approach to life, which doesn't lead to success. And what Julian Rotter found is that exactly the opposite happened in those with the internal locus of control. They said, yeah. if it is to be, it's up to me. Yeah. And because yeah. they had that mindset, they took a lot more ownership, yeah which yeah. is really what we're talking yeah, about here, right. over their
1: life and the decisions that need to be made. So listeners, this might be counterintuitive. You might be thinking, wait a minute, you're saying this eases the mental health and helps us be more healthy mentally. But if you're saying take control of it or take responsibility, that seems harder. Yeah, It's actually, it's actually true, about, uh, true at first, but actually not true in the long run. Think about it. Think about your own calendar and your own day, listeners, right now. Think about your day. If you felt like most of the stuff in your day was out of your control, wouldn't that increase your stress levels? Yep. You bet it would. Yep. So you're simply saying, I believe in you. I'm going to empower you to take control of how you're going to study for this test or how you're going to get ready for this, that, or the other. Yep. And and over the long haul, not the short run, but the long haul, it actually helps our stress levels when we actually say, I'm in control of my life. Absolutely. I'd
0: rather have three projects that were all in my control than one project that could change on me at any moment yes. in terms of my mental health and how I was processing the responsibilities. So there's a direct connection here to mental health.
1: So one last tidbit before we go to our last thought. Um, Dr. Jean Twenge has become a dear friend of Growing Leaders. She is um, so helpful on sharing primary research and what it means. So Dr. Twenge at San Diego State University and her team found that over the decades, average scores on this internal external locus of control have shifted dramatically. Mm. Now this is over the decades since this was became a thing in the sixties. The shift has been away from internal locus, which is what we want and uh, toward external locus. In fact, the shift was so great that the average young person in 2002 was more external locus than 80% of the young people in the 1960s. Mm. That's a little scary. Yeah. Sadly, the rise in externality on Rotter's scale over a 42-year period showed the same linear trend as did the rise of depression and anxiety. So I'm, I don't know if it's cause, causality or correlation, but there's a correlation between higher stress and anxiety levels, and things feel out of my control. But listeners, think about it. When we lead our kids, whether we're teachers, parents, or coaches, aren't we more prescript- prescriptive we're telling them exactly what to do, here's what to do, I'm in control of your life, I will prescribe, I will supervise, I'm saying let's back off a little bit and maybe it will help their mental health.
0: So obviously you talked about prescriptive leadership, the opposite of that, the metacognition style, we call it descriptive leadership. that's right. And I really think it would be worth taking an inventory of the responsibilities that the student you're leading has, right, whether that's your child or maybe students in your classroom, and ask is that a responsibility that I have given them full ownership over or am I still prescribed? all of the steps. And the more you can start to take some little steps towards that descriptive style leadership, the better off ultimately yeah, they'll no be. no doubt about it.
1: All right, you want to go to number four? The last one, movement. Now, I don't mean join a movement, although you may want to. That, maybe that will help you yeah. your stress. But I'm talking about just stay moving. Mm. Movement for me has been the secret in so many days. And I don't think I'm brilliant, but just getting up and moving around. So uh, this might sound cliche, but since millions of us in the 21st century civilization sit so much during our typical day and we see a climb in our anxiety rates, maybe there's a connection, you know? So those that get up and move around, shoot some hoops, walk, run, whatever, work out, the, the endorphins, all the chemicals do better in our bodies, and we're just back to where we ought to be. Uh, If you think about humankind, millenniums ago, lots more moving around, lots more work outside. Yeah. Today, it's more sitting in front of a computer at a table or a desk, and I don't think that's helping. So inserting into our day places where we're moving around is going to be huge. You know, I find this interesting, Andrew. Not long ago, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook in the dorm room at Harvard University, uh, wrote and posted a letter to his newborn daughter. So he just had a baby. And if you read it, you, some of you have read it, I'm sure you likely found it interesting because he specifically encourages her and her older sister, by the way, to go outside and play. Mm. Don't get in front of Facebook. Yep. Get outside and play. Now, that's ironic, said the founder of Facebook. Indeed but of course, is. he just knows. Uh, Steve Jobs, I remember when he was interviewed, still around, is interviewed by the New York Times. Uh, the interviewer said, oh, I bet your kids love those iPads, don't they? And he goes, oh, I don't let my kids have iPads. <laughs> And it's because he knew. Yep. Every parent in America went, what are you talking about, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he could see the anxiety uh, and depression and just the, the, the mental health issues that come with sitting with a screen all day, every day.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And in that way, I think the pandemic was a blessing and a curse, right? For for many, they felt stuck at home, like they couldn't move. And for others, they had more free time than they were planning on having. They got to get out and walk around and do all of those things. I know my wife and I were very thankful for our neighborhood and the spring flowers that emerge right around the uh, uh, pandemic, but I just think if we had this mindset of making space, whether that's the parent who says, we're going to go on a family walk after dinner, or the teacher who says, hey, I want to give you a question to think about. I want you to walk around the school building and come back in and we'll discuss it. Finding ways to get your kids up, active, moving can... there's lots of studies that show it has a significant positive effect on mental health. So why not make it a part of
1: our regular routine? You know, what's um, challenging for me is that this doesn't just start in middle school and high school and college. It starts as early as elementary school, these mental health issues. So I was inspired by one particular school in New Mexico that figured out how they can uh, do this. Uh, So again, one inspiring school solved several problems, actually, by doing this movement thing. Uh, not only do they still provide recess for elementary-age students, but they decided to start each day using "we." Do you remember when we first came the out? The gaming system, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, when faculty and staff at Conley Elementary School in Las Cruces, New Mexico, started having students do five minutes of just dance. That game, yeah, yeah. where you dance around. Yeah, yeah and you take, you know, you know, get your phone out and you show what I'm looking like when I'm dancing. That's uh-huh, what you yep, do. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the start of each new day, they noticed a trend. Tardiness went down because this yeah. kid's gone, I don't want to miss that, mom. Yeah. You know? But then kids began getting to school on time, and then they're exercising every day, playing this game. that just helped their mental health issues along the way. It was a natural.
0: Five minutes a day. That's yep. all it took. That's right. I love that. The, the perspective here, if any of these things are a complete revolution of your schedule, you might be doing it wrong, yeah, right? That's right? That's not the way life typically changes. These are small habits we can implement uh, into our, our regular uh, regular. Uh, scheduled programming. So uh, as we were talking about this, you were talking about what does it look like uh, for a young person to have adults in their life who help them do this well. And it's hard not to think about our own upbringings, right? And you were mentioning, I'd love for you to talk about this, about some of the adults in your life who helped you do this well.
1: I had certain dramatic, positive changes take place when I was in high school. And when I think about these four terms, we just talked about, Andrew, margin and mindfulness uh, metacognition, and then movement. Um, I had a handful of, really, they were educators uh, in my high school years. And I went to public high school. Um, I, I think of um, Dennis Cook, who was one of my teachers that had a lunch uh, elective, a lunchtime. He said, you can just come into my class. And we're going to be talking about this, that, or the other. And he had different themes. But I, I just kind of stumbled into that. And it was so refreshing. It was not reading, writing, arithmetic, although he was a good teacher. Uh, It was just Dennis Cook really, I think, just loving us. But he was a male teacher who was just loving us, providing margin and mindfulness. He even talked about that. He even talked about just being quiet. And this is back, um, so I'm going to give my age away. This is back in the 70s. Yeah. You know? So um, anyway, Dennis Cook was one. Mr. Mosher was another one. Same high school just, I look back and I go, I know why I liked him so much. It wasn't just the literature class he taught. It was the way he handled it mm. and the way he gave us time to think, to process, to be quiet. Uh, Sean Mitchell, I've talked about Sean Mitchell before. He had a after-school deal that I got involved with. Then he let me help him lead it. Metacognition. metacognition, I yeah. to make decisions on this big outreach in San Diego. To this day, I owe so much to Sean Mitchell. But um, those three guys, I could go on, but those three people, I now look back and say, they changed me as much or more as any classroom did. Yeah. because they helped me implement these four characteristics or virtues that we just talked about here in this podcast.
0: I love it. Imagine the students that you're leading today, 40 years from now, yeah. saying the things that you just said about those men in your life. And I think that's exactly what will happen mm-hmm. with if we choose to make this space for them and really focus on health and wellness. Well, Tim, thank you so much for leading us. If you're one of those people who likes to dig a little deeper on some of this, all four of these M's that we just talked through are actually in a free ebook. It's simply called Stressed out, and you can actually get it on our website. If you head on to growingleaders.com/free, you can find "Stressed Out" the ebook there. We'd love for you to get that, read more. Uh, if you're looking to build life skills, which are another really important factor in helping students deal with uh, mental health issues, stress, anxiety, uh, all of those things, we invite you to check out Habitudes. Habitudes for social and emotional learning builds these all-important life skills and does it using images, metaphors, and really compelling stories. Uh, and through conversation, we help students develop those skills that they'll need in order to manage their emotions, handle uh, the mental health issues that they're dealing with, and ultimately have a much healthier uh, life. So if you want to find out more about Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning, our high school edition or our middle school edition, head on over to growingleaders.com SEL. You can even try it out for free today. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That gets the word out about what we're doing here. And of course, if you found this helpful, please pass it along to somebody you know. Share it with somebody who you think might find it helpful. Uh, if you uh, want to connect with us on social media, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, stuff you want us to talk about, uh, people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.